song you just heard is Always Online by the band No Jersey from New York, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm Phil Schneider. And this is Phil and Nick Explain Wrestling to Each Other. Exciting episode today, Phil. Nineteen Late 1980s NWA wrestling. This was where I... And we picked, I should mention, I forgot to, uh, I picked Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard to a half of the Four Horsemen versus the Road Warriors at Starcade 87, which takes place in Chicago. Right. Sorry. Continue. So, so 87, I was 11. Um, I, was, I was two months old. Right. Yeah. So but this was like the period where I just started getting into wrestling. It was around 86, 87. And I started with the WWF. And then I uh, discovered NWA wrestling, you know, once we got cable. And also it was like there was a syndicated show. And that was like the thing that really ignited my love for pro wrestling. So this is right up. This is like the, you know, sweet spot for me is that, you know, the Horsemen, Dusty, the Road Warriors, the Rock and Roll Express, you know, all of those guys at that period. It's like, you know, really like a formative experience for me. So it was, it was really fun to rewatch this. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, to me, I mean, obviously I picked it. It's an excellent match psych- psychologically like they're at they're both at the top of their games as far as i'm concerned like uh both teams and i think arn it's like a beautiful showcase for how good arn anderson is like it's a great arn match as far as i'm concerned yeah and um, the road warriors are you know were such fun f- you know it's interesting like you're the sort of arc of a wrestling fan right so the you know point where i was like you know what i i'm turning my back on these like roid guys and I just want to watch junior heavyweights and you know and, and now you know like when you're you know and then now I'm just like completely just, like no give me some fucking giant dudes to impress <laughs> like, I was like I don't I want to see any more athleticism I want to see the athleticism I want to see is from a needle and that's <laughs> although you know you've got like your drop kicks by both guys which look good like animals drop kicks were you know sick you know Half cool, and they, half not good in this match. But he like Hawk is a really nice looking drop, drop kick and a shoulder block. He was a pretty agile, athletic guy, especially for the amount of you know horse chemicals pulsing through his body at this point. I think you're full. He's very much one of those. I think you're full guys. And what's great is they both teams use that strength to their advantage to tell the story. Um, like I, I really love the spot like when i say both teams i mean like arn anderson plays to the strengths both literal and and metaphorical of the road warriors exceptionally well in this match like he is a perfect i like tully i I love tully but arn is just a perfect foil for them in this match he's clearly like in this match at least in charge of the strategy and what's great about this match is from beginning to the very end of the match the whole story at least to me is that Arn and Tully are used to being somewhat tougher and definitely more vicious and like willing to do whatever it takes to win than the people against them and they finally went up against somebody where that doesn't matter so they actually have to like do the work as opposed to just being cheap, mean dudes. They actually have to constantly come up with new strategies and new ways to attack these behemoths who they just can't do anything against. Everything they try, and they mention, it's a really good job by Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross of explaining, though Jim Ross cannot remember which Road Warrior is which, uh, of explaining, like, 
no, these guys are very tough. Like the, the road warriors make the horsemen look like pansies, despite the fact that they're ass kicking heels. Like that's what the four, they're tough guys. And they're, they do like the strength and numbers thing more so than the cowardly stuff though. Tully's a little bit more cowardly. Flair um, of course would do the, you yeah. know, the back away. And, you know, there was definitely yeah. some, some pussy shit involved in the heel horsemen. I mean, I think I love about him oh, is, is, is that I think he's the best, maybe the best comedy wrestler of all time. And yes. also, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also just like nobody's ever been better at flipping the switch from like buffoon to assassin. Right. Cause our, yes. I'll do the thing. I don't think he did in this match, but like the art, I'm going to point to my head about how smart I am and then like get fucking goofed and clowned right afterwards or take like a big, like you would, Totally stooge it up. And then when it turned, when it was time for him to like, you know, he flipped the switch, he was like a, you know, brutal, vicious killer. And nobody in wrestling history has ever been as good at doing both things, right? You know, there are other other guys who do kind of buffoonish stuff and there are other killers, but I mean, he would just flip the, he could, he was perfectly believable in both roles in the same match within minutes of each other. You, He has that dad thing of like, don't make me turn this car around, but I'll make a dad joke right before. Like the, there's this like, and I've always said this and my buddy Dave and I actually did a whole series on Arn. Arn looks like the toughest possible version of one of your dad's, your friend's dad's. Like he looks like a person, but he also looks like a dude who could beat the shit out of a lot of people and does like, but he looks like a normal guy who's like a fireman or something like that. He doesn't like even Ric Flair looks like a star. Do you know what I mean? Like you see him where he carries himself. Arn Anderson looks like a dude who hangs out with that guy and beats the shit out of people for fun, but also like mows the lawn. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, what I, what I remember I said this in way of the blade when I talked about the horseman, right? Like Arn Anderson, you know, J.J. Dillon, who yeah. I also loved in this match, and I absolutely love J.J. Dillon, one of my favorite managers of all time. I think a gut one in the discussion for great managers, he's never in there, but he should be. He's the, you know, like, C-suite uh, executive who closes down the plant, mm-hmm. and Arn Anderson is the strike breaker they brought in to fuck up the yeah. union guys. Like, right, that, like, because, you know, I, I mean, I would describe the horseman as, like, every, um, a bunch of different um, incarnations of uh, of uh, toxic Reagan mm-hmm. capitalism, yeah. yes. like that's what they were. You know, Tully is your is your uh, look is your uh, you know, fail yeah. son. No, he's well, yeah. Tully's rich, right? So he's like a fail son. Uh, you know, like frat yes. rapist, right? Like he's Tully, and then you've got like you know. <laughs> You know, Flair is kind of this, like... At least the guy who says, I have a body count, and means it unironically. Like... <laughs> yeah. And that's what Tully's a fucking scumbag, right? Like, you know, Arn and all... And then, you know, J.J. Dillon is, like... When he, you know, like, cleans his glasses, just a fucking contemptible prick of it in every way. I mean, I just, You know, and that, that was what made, you know, what made the horseman Dusty stuff so yeah. compelling, right? Because Dusty was is the working man, is the you know the guy who's going to cut the promo about hard times, and then here is you know toxic eighties 
Reagan capitalism as a as a wrestling heel thing, right? Ric Flair is yeah, he's the one that thinks to get gr- a good idea that the computer took your job. Like, <laughs> yeah, like these are the guys who blocked the computer to take your job, right? Like Flair is Flair's like you know the you know the the wastrel uh, stockbroker. You know, who just who decided, you know, who, uh, you know, turned this company and shut down all the plants to make extra money so he could buy coke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sushi, right? Like that was that's flair. And, you know, and then, you know, the these guys, they just ran into the meanest bikers in the town when they run into the road yeah. warriors. Right. And that was kind of thing. and they still end up pulling it yeah. off in kind of a disgusting way at the end, like in the kind of classic, you know, NWA dusty booking bullshit finish. Yeah. So <laughs> that, this is like a quintessential dusty finish. It literally has the multiple refs, the guy coming in, them getting the like visual victory because they announce it. They go through the whole thing crowd. It's Chicago when they, t- so anybody listening to this has heard of the concept of the road warrior pop. The Road Warrior pop in this match is so loud, you can hear it over the fake WWE music that they put in instead of um, Iron Man or what I forget. Uh, what, yeah. yeah, War Pigs or whatever right. black. Yeah. They put in fake, like, generic WWE music, and you can still very clearly ha- hear how loud the pop is and see the crowd losing their shit. This is like the Japanese match we watched uh, last month. Like, that level of, like, the yeah. crowd eating up everything they throw at each other and there's there's a couple of spots and it's it's stuff like the stuff that makes me really love this match is like all the arn stuff in particular the part where tully desperately needs to tag so like arn just slaps him just to get him out of the ring and then looks and hawk i think it is is staring at him and he just goes fuck like he just has this <laughs> moment of like he literally does the like face palm of just like mother fucker what am i doing and he drops down and like that's the the psychology of this match is so well done in terms of arn and tully are trying to find any angle they can at all to get like one like chink in the armor of these two dudes they finally get it on the outside and i had with a hawk they uh mess up his knee and then they hit him with a chair in the knee uh, and then they put him back in the ring, and like the second third of the match is them basically dealing with an injured hawk. Who like watching that, you totally understand why some people thought he might be a world champion someday. Like he has that charisma, and that like people want to see him succeed over obstacles. Thing. Um, I also loved uh, j- just the psychology of them also having to deal with because it was very much to me like. Hawk is the one we really have to deal with, but they also have Animal. Like, he's first... Uh, Hawk is almost, like, first amongst equals in that tag team, it feels like, uh, because they thought he was going to be a huge star. But they work so well trying to neutralize Hawk, but also dealing with Animal, like, chipping Animal while trying to stop Hawk. And it creates this really interesting dynamic where they both need to be in there to prevent to even have a chance against one dude, but the also have another dude who's almost as badass as that one dude. It's like the dynamic between it. They're surviving in this match. They don't win this match by any reasonable definition other than they hold the belts up at the end. They survive this match. And it was really cool to see. And again, I don't understand the context as well as you. 
Uh, though I have watched an insane amount of NWA from that period, because I used to have a show where we did week to week. And there's this very clear, like, they didn't knock them down a peg, but they made them look, it's a perfect heel getting over a babyface match to me in terms of like, they make them look like a billion dollars and they get the victory. They do all the things right. And then they still get to hold the belts at the end. It's just like a perfect way to do this kind of match. Even if you hate a dusty finish. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I think they probably should have given the role. Yeah. The in Chicago, I mean, yeah. the thing about that. Cause eventually this, this begin to burn, burnout yeah. crowds, right? Where you'd have every time you'd have a big match, it looked like they, the person you wanted to win would win, but then they didn't. And they kind of, I, you know, if I, and you know, who, this is the sort of conventional wisdom, who knows how much of that is true, is that eventually started to burn out the crowds a mm. little bit. And, and I think this is sort of near, and this may be the thing where people are like, all right, you can't, I mean, how many times are you going to do this shit, right? How many times are you going to have, um, you know, them almost get foiled you know it's hard right like this was happening the nwo too right it's hard to have these it's happening right now with the, a lot of times with roman reigns where it's just like hard to eventually have you know this dominant heel stable even if they do things great but never have the comeuppance right always have them back on top and eventually it just kind of there's a there's a limit to it um you know and here this was like the you know the main event of this um the main event of this match uh, show was Flair winning back the title from Ronnie Garvin, and nobody. And Ronnie Garvin was the guy who was the guy who was willing to do this kind of like win it lame duckish title switch. He's nobody's first choice for that, right? Like they they, they suggested it to a bunch of other people. They're like, no, nah, I don't really want to hold the belt for a, a couple of months and then just lose back to Flair and look like a chump. And basically, this was the end of Ronnie Garvin's career. Like for, I mean, Ronnie Garvin was out of wrestling like a year or so later, functionally, right? Like he went to, he's out of the NWA and then he was in the AWA for like a minute and then, you know, WWF for a minute, but never really was a star again after this. And eventually this was kind of, and then, you know, they had to turn the Road Warriors heel. It just eventually was kind of, as much as I love the Four Horsemen, I don't know if there was a, they probably ran it too. Oh, long. I agree. I think that this, out of context works in the context. I can't say, but out of context, like it feels both cheap and that they legitimately beat them. Does that make sense? Like that the warriors legitimately beat them and the way that the four horsemen or the two horsemen in this context, one was cheap, but legitimate. Like it was a shitty way to lose a match, but they, and they do a good job of setting it up earlier. Like you physically, it's not like, Oh, I think they threw him over the top rope. You literally see it happen and they isolate it specifically. They zoom in on Animal throwing Tully. Like they go out of their way to frame it in a way that you it's the only thing you can pay attention to when it happens. And in the back of your head, you're like, oh shit. Like that's, they can't do that. And then it comes back to haunt them. But they didn't do the thing which happens and I think a lot of Dusty matches where it's like, oh, we swear that he he did this or that this happened or blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you didn't actually get it in the frame. There's no video of it or the video of it is very inconclusive. Like, they, they sold this. But yeah, it definitely burned out because they do the same thing with, it happens a lot in the WWE. It's, we want, drug dealers make their money on the comeback, right? And we want you to keep coming back, but eventually you're going to overdose on this shit or have a bad trip and you're just going to be like, I'm done. 
Like I, that happened to me at WrestleMania with Roman Reigns. I was just like another fucking Samoan. It's the same Samoan in a fucking sweatshirt. That's your entire thing is that you just have a guy in a sweatshirt show up and hit somebody like do something more than that. And, and they don't want to. And the argument would be, well, it's, you know, it builds it's there. We're doing this stuff for a reason. And it's like, yeah, but you could, you could try to do it for a better reason, man. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't really ever have a, a satisfactory end to the horse. Yeah, exactly. Guys in and out, Luger and Wyndham, but it never really had the moment where, you know, the comeuppance was happening. Yeah, where it was like, like, oh, there's a new, I guess the closest would be something like Sting, and then Sting spent half his career getting screwed over by Ric Flair, so it's like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, but Sting never got the, you know, got the, the, you know, hurts his knee but you know it's like you know and, i mean look i, I absolutely it's my favorite yeah. stuff right like and, and they they go into 88 was interesting like 88 i don't think was a um a, 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 while a lot of cool stuff happened in the nwa in 88 i don't think 88 was an especially successful year 89 was like one of the best wrestling years of all mm-hmm. time but then again i don't think did great business so it's no. like not that i give a shit now it's like not that i care that you know 30 years ago they weren't really filling the houses <laughs> that they should have I don't fucking fuck. I can watch it, but you know, like you know, it, again, that was you know they turned flare face and then you know, they turned him heel again, and I don't know. I mean, I love this stuff, but you kind of do wish that they had. I mean, like it's really funny if you look at the results of Starcade '87. Like the only guy who gets you know Dusty is the guy who gets the win, right? Like you know, <laughs> Dusty gets to beat Lex Luger. You know the. Road Warriors lose. Nikita won. Garvin loses. Nikita won, though. Nikita! He beats uh, Terry Taylor, right? Yeah. That's the match right before. That's the other one. Yeah, but oh, there's a shit about that. Yeah, no, I know. It's like, oh, Nikita Cole. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, won the Skywalkers match, too. I mean, it wasn't all yeah. heels, but like with no matches that matter. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, nobody thought. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a, the Terry Taylor Nikita thing was just about them purchasing and then burying the UWF, right? Like, that was what that was. Oh, that was part of the, the UWF. Now we're going to, you know, it. we're going to, you know, shoot it in the head in the middle of the, the uh, in the middle of the, the uh, town in front of everybody kind of thing. Yeah. Which kind of how it works, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, they, that's, the, this is kind of, you can see very much the, like, the viciousness uh, and, and this happens a lot in WWF too. Of the like, no, we bought this territory. Now we're going to make this guy look less than. Not because we hate him, but because you know you got to put a head on a spike. Basically, <laughs> like, um, but they never really ran Williams Flyer, right? They never ran the unification world title unification match where they bought the UWF, yeah. right? You had that. That was there. You could have done that. That people would have been into that match. I think. Was Steve Williams really good? Steve Williams really didn't do much at all in the NWA after he came over from he was you know in the Varsity Club and you know was kind of not not certainly a a big time player, uh, you know really again until he until he went to Japan, but he's like an undercard guy. I mean, this is when he's defending the UWF title in the second match of this fucking show in a six minute match. I mean, he beats Barry Windham but in six minutes and 50 seconds, right? It's very much like... Yeah, I remember you know, watching this and being like, oh man, I'm going to see Dr. Death because I don't like have a lot of experience with him and I was like, oh, this is this is the whole, like, this is... I didn't realize, like, 
they were kind of booking him like shit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like they weren't making him look good. And it's like, oh, he's not that good. And it's really interesting to see how you can change the like dynamic of a way somebody is perceived if they if you're good enough at making them look bad. Like just straight up, like if you're good enough at making them look bad, you can make them look bad, even if it looks like you're giving them something to do. Like th- that's like a, something that Dusty did. And and Dusty's idea to me of what made a good match was basically like the Poochie thing of like if if other if Poochie isn't in the scene other people should be asking what Poochie is doing is like I'm the star so that's what makes a good match that I was mentioned or like he does not seem to appreciate that like people exist outside of him and other people go to the shows to watch people who are not him like I love Ah. Sure, Dusty rules, though. I mean, that's that's your, like, Meltzer talking point about Dusty, right? Like, oh, he only cares about Dusty. But also, Dusty is the... You should be focusing on the whole show. Oh, right? oh no, I, <laughs> that's actually, I agree, but... Accurate should have happened. So that's, like, off the... I mean, that's the thing. He's, like, not a work... He's not a work yeah. rate guy, right? So, like, a lot of the history of the stuff is written by Meltzer, who just wants to have matches where lots of shit happens. Oh, yeah. Right? I, so, like, Dusty isn't... I mean, or at least the footage well, you have Well, you also have to take that. it into account, like... How much the horseman didn't like Dusty because it was all about like it did actually affect him professionally. Like, and I think I love Dusty. I love I like his matches. He's always shockingly fun to watch. Like, you're always like he's and I think we can kind of uh use this to transition into the next thing. He's a big guy who can move like a guy who's not a big guy in a way that like makes the entire thing feel like a fun special treat. Like <laughs> You're like, oh man, I can't believe he did that. Oh man, he's got a he got some nice da- dance moves for like a better way to put it. He he works in a way that and and, and uh, rest in peace. But like Bray had a lot of that. That I'm a big football player who can move, but I'm not spectacular in the way that like. And I think we can. Uh, well, let's tell the people the match that you chose, and then we'll hit a break, and then when we come back, we'll. Uh, right, so I I chose. Uh, Los Brazos uh, versus Super and Astra Aldani and Popotecas uh, from CMLL, uh, May 3rd, 1991, Children's Day. Uh, and we'll talk about what that means, Children's Day means, uh, when we come back from the break. In 2017, Universal Studios announced The Dark Universe, an ambitious project that would see all of their classic movie monsters come together like some kind of horror Avengers. Only one movie was ever made, which bombed so hard they canceled the entire franchise. But what if they hadn't? On our podcast, Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe, we imagine the connected horror universe that never was. Every week, one of us pitches the other on the next movie in the universe until we grow to Marvel proportions and beyond. So far, we've tackled Frankenstein, The Wolfman, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and many more, and we're just getting started. Follow along on your favorite podcast app and ask yourself the question... Are you afraid of the dark universe? And we're back. So we were talking uh, before the break about Dusty Rhodes um, having a certain je ne sais quoi of being a big, beefy boy who does not necessarily work like a big, beefy boy. And you picked a match, which is exclusively the biggest and beefiest boys flying around the ring like literally i I look this up you'll be very happy so i look this match up and otani's jacket 
on Death Valley Driver has like an explanation of this. That's about this having the longest dive train, in, the biggest dive train in history. And I thought he was kidding. Whoever it was was kidding. And I watched it and it's literally like six 280 pound guys flying <laughs> out of the ring. <laughs> well, yeah, oh, Dandy's not very big. But, but uh, everybody else, and, and that's the thing about big too, right? All of these guys are 5'8. They're all rogue so like, <laughs> you know, Maybe not Pumpatakis is kind of tall, yeah. kind of Mexican tall. But, you know, like, Super Porky's 5'4". You know, like, Super Astro's, I think, 5 feet if he's anything, right? So it's like, you know, but these guys are all... I mean, Super Porky is basically Dusty Rhodes, right? He's, like, one of the most charismatic wrestlers of all time. Mm -hmm. Just just absolutely. I don't... This match... uh, So this match is is a Children's Day match. So basically, they work it like a scientific, uh, you know, battle of technique. Right, like that is the style that this match has worked in very specifically. Right, you don't have a lot of brawling. You don't really have any rude. Ru- none of these guys are wrestling as rudos. It's all kind of just like we're going to show off our skill and technique. So it's not. Oh, we, you know, this is the first lucha match we've done, and the first lucha match I guess you've ever seen. Right, <laughs> it's not incredibly uh, representative of lucha libre uh, in, in its entirety because it is kind of worked as this kind of like you know, you know, skill showcase match for a specific than, concept almost. Right. This is a children's day. This is for the kids. We're going to show them uh, how we do a Lucha Libre is a beautiful art. And there isn't that kind of brawling ugliness that, you know, the Brazos are incredible brawlers. I mean, you may not be able to know this from this match, mm-hmm. but they've had some absolute gore soaked blood fests in Mexico and those guys and they can turn on that we're talking about super porky has that arm thing where he can be kind of like he is kind of this affable you know you know kind of guy who's kind of picked on by his brothers but man he can turn it on and just start biting heads and spreading Mm -hmm. blood and throwing punches and being like a brutal fuck besides also being this gigantic guy who flies through the air like like with just incredible agility. The the agility um, on these guys was just unreal. Like legit a couple times you're like, how the fuck did you just there's one I think one of them does a moonsault and lands on his feet. And it's like one of the best moonsaults I have ever seen. And he does it I think it's Astro. It's one of them. Oh yeah. He yeah, just super I mean, you're just like, what the fuck like the stuff in this match is like mind-blowing when it's good like not when it's good but when they want to you're just like how the fuck are you that size and doing that stuff in the air like not like like the arn thing well to go back real quick there's a there's a part in the arn uh in the arn match where um hawk normally you do the dump spot off of the rope off of the top row. Right, yeah. he, he picks him up and walks him into the ring. But the thing is, you can see Arn helping. This shit, they're just doing by theirself, themselves in midair. It, there's no help. It's just them doing incredible shit because they're incredible athletes who happen to be big guys. It's like, in terms of that, one of the more remarkable matches I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, super, it's funny. Like, again, big guy. Super Astro is 
five foot one, yeah. right? Like he is a little, little tiny guy, but built like a, you know, built like a gut and like, yeah. and that's, you know, like and he does the style and, guy almost like that kind of like you are, you're almost a human chode, but in a nice way. <laughs> like, yeah. And, yeah, he, and he's one of the, he's like an all time, he's an all time great super astro, you know, as part of, uh, and uh, not you don't have as much footage of him as we have on some of these other guys. But he's like one of those guys. Who's like, oh man, if we had like ten more Super Astro matches, he owns a torta shop now in Mexico. Buy <laughs> <laughs> a giant torta from Super Astro. He's he's retired. Um, I think everybody in this match is retired. Some of them are, have passed. Uh, uh, I think I think of all the Brazos passed. I know Super Porky and Brazo Oro have. I'm not sure. if El Brazo has. So these guys are, you know, and El Dandy's El Dandy may still wrestle occasionally. Who are you um, to doubt El Dandy? <laughs> continued existence. That's his legacy in American wrestling, but El Dandy's a better wrestler than Bret Hart. If you wanted to put your my best, I mean, I like Bret Hart. Bret Hart's really good. He's just not El Dandy, right? Like, you, you, he isn't as good as El Dandy, and he doesn't have as many good singles matches. He doesn't have as many good brawls. He doesn't have as many good tag matches. And you know, and this isn't this was not necessarily an El Dandy showcase. But the best El Dandy match is he's as good as anybody who's ever wrestled. So that was the idea of him being turned into kind of a joke. But I was like, man, fucking Bret Hart can't. Can't lace El Dandy's boots. He's good, but if you're gonna clown El Dandy. Go, go watch some fucking El Dandy. Go watch, go watch El Dandy Piranha Morgan for the hair, and tell me what Bret Hart could do. You know that approaches that. Um, and he, oh, this is not. A, this is a Brazos match, right? This is a Brazos 100%. match, Super Astro match. Pobatakis, who's not a guy with. He's like the. He's the one with the. He's the non Hall of Famer in this match, mm-hmm. right? He's like the guy who isn't doesn't have that same sort of career, although obviously a cool dude, like a giant fucking cool dude who doesn't do it. And he's like, a, he may be legitimately big. Like he might, if you saw Popotakis, you might go, oh, that guy's like a really big guy as opposed to these other guys who are all, you know, stocky. Look like you know, my guys family who, where I'm the tallest on my mom's side by seven inches, but I am the skinniest out of most of the people. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're all just ball people. Like, <laughs> you yeah, all, shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's funny. So they, there's some, there's some like American history with these guys. Weird American history, U.S. history. Obviously, Dandy was in WCW for a while, yeah. right? And had like, I don't know if he really had a lot of moments, but was around and had some cool stuff. I mean, there's a lot of you can find a bunch of cool El Dandy shit on like Worldwide, where it's like, yeah, oh, I was gonna say they had tons of trios matches and trio styles matches and that lucha style because we talked about it. They shake hands and leave the ring. A lot. Is that a function of it being a Children's Day match that they're like- no, no, the shaking hands is sure. Uh, but you know that you don't need to tag in and out lucha libre. If you leave the ring, an opponent can go in. So there's yeah. two ways you can tag, but you can also just if somebody leaves the ring, there the other people can go in. Yeah. So that's that. So you don't usually you don't usually have heat sections in the same way you have in American yeah. matches where they cut off the ring. They just don't do that in lucha really. That that was um, that was what was weird, especially after in the context of the. Um, Arn match. Sorry, the Road Warriors Four Horsemen match. Arn's in the Arn match. Um, there's the spot, and it's one of my favorite Arn spots ever, where he grabs Hawk's leg, and in the same motion reaches out for the tag to Tully, and like that to me is like perfect Arn, just like right, just. Every sense of his place in the ring, sense of the time of the match, 
everything. And to not have that and still have it be enjoyable is hard, I think. To not have, not obviously not Arn, but to not have those heat sections and that kind of like, we're going to do this and we're going to build towards this. It's just a match where guys are working each other. And not that there's no psychology. And part of some people just never can get into that. Um, but obviously, if you watch enough Lucha, you just like that. This is how a Lucha match was, it worked. And yeah. it's a different kind of psychology, a different kind of style, and still as good. I mean, honestly, my favorite wrestling uh, ever is Lucha Libre done at its absolute highest level. Like, my the favorite, I what if you if I made a list of the best matches ever, the best match ever is MS1 Sangre Chicana for the hair in Arena Mexico in think That's number one. That's the top match of all time of all, any style. And I've watched all the styles and watched almost all the... Pro- I mean, I don't know if I say I've watched every match that people would put in contention for a top best match ever. But, you know, 80, 95% of them for sure. Right? 90% yeah. of them, I don't know. Maybe there's something I haven't seen. I, I've seen most of it, almost all of it. And, I, you know, that's that's my top thing. But, that you know, it is part part of it is you have to adjust to that. And the stuff in WCW was not Lucha. And it's right. Lucha Underground's not Lucha. Mm-hmm. Fucking current CMLL really isn't. I mean, there's like, it's like the, the traditional Lucha. They don't even really do that in Mexico anymore. Uh, it, but it, it's this, it's in, and, and like I said, this isn't a perfect example of it because it doesn't have, it never turns ugly, mm-hmm. right? Like it's all beauty and you know, a, a traditional Lucha match will have the beauty and then it'll have some ugly, right? It'll have a really great brawling or it'll have some blood. And this is just all guys sort of showing technique, which is cool. Um, and, uh, but fun. And I was, I was saying the U S stuff. So. Danny had this run in WCW Super Astro. I don't think you knew. I don't know if you knew this. Showed up in W and Nitro once as part of a thing where lots of people, all of these luchadors came out and brawled to set up for some like a cruiserweight title thing. They all brawled, and then Super Astro comes out as part of this and gets launched over the top rope by somebody who does like a like a super tope where he flies through the ring to the floor and a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And that was it. You never saw him again. He showed up on Nitro once and never did an ass little match. Just showed up as part of a brawl, did one really cool dive, and that was it. So Super Ash, that was his moment. Super Porky was in the WWF. Did you know this? They, they, he, he was, they were trying to do like a minis division and they brought him in as like a, as like a part of the minis division. But all he ever did, I don't think he wrestled, but all he ever did was like hang out in the back of vignettes eating ham. I was going to say wh- <laughs> the part of the match, and it was probably his part, felt like a minis match. Like the idea, like that it's very like, and I thought I was being like offensive because I'm like, yeah, short Mexican guys. I'm, I'm five foot nine, everyone. I'm not that tall. But like, I was like, oh, you know, and then I was like, oh, this kind of feels like, so the idea that they brought one of them in as a mini like totally clicks with me because i literally was like and it might have been him i was like this this kind of has a mini feel in the sense of like the cadence of that kind of match where it's well, minis minis wrestling minis wrestling is a big part of Mexico. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll see yeah of course yeah. you'll see really i mean although less less clownish you know a lot of times those minis are really also just really really good wrestlers mm-hmm. who happen to be super short yeah right like you know one of the v- virus uh, start, you know, was one of the best wrestlers of the last 20 years. He started out as Damian Cito El Guerrero. It was a mini, and they, he actually won a match where he was able to graduate to to regular size wrestling. 
And then there was like a it's really good match. Maybe we'll have to do that sometime. The match where he wins and graduates to becoming a real boy. And then one of my favorite matches ever, which we might have to do at some point, is there was a few there's a wrestler named Demus who was also awesome, who also started out as a minion, also graduated much later than Virus did. And at one point they had a match where the loser had to go back to being a mini. It's, <laughs> it's a really, it's really awesome. Vicious, ugly brawl. It's like these two guys are just, I'm still a real, I refuse to not be a real boy anymore. <laughs> and they were just absolutely, like, like they were opening wounds on each other's heads with just punches. That match was just, that match is awesome. Just because, like, the stakes of it were, like, insane stakes. Like, one of these guys going to go back to being a mini, and, and neither will want to. And, uh, uh, but, uh, ah, that match with Demas, both those guys, there's, like, incredible match by both of those Demas now is basically just an indie, guy works in indies in Mexico and just kind of wanders around like a fucking bridge troll carving people up with his teeth like this is like demonic little little like so your favorite wrestler out. ever is basically what might be like if you made me a list like he's in he's on the, in the discussion he's a guy when anybody says oh there's a good demas match i go watch the good demas match always right it's like oh, okay that that will be good he will definitely break a bottle and carve somebody with it and start biting him like a, like a fucking gremlin. Like, just like, a, like a psychotic little gremlin. Uh, we're off topic here a little bit. No, we're not. This um, is all... No, because I think it's important because, like you said, this is really our first introduction on this show to Lucha, uh, which I, I've i maybe seen, like, one or two matches that were, like, you would consider... I watched a shit ton of Lucha Underground, but that is not Lucha. And watching this... I mean, that's their own thing, and parts of it were cool. But And they had Luchador. And like I said, I don't even think really, like, much, most current Mexican wrestling now isn't really. I mean, the, that's the thing about the homo- the homogenization of pro wrestling styles, right? Everybody got the internet. So everybody got this, can has the same influences mm-hmm. now. So there's not a giant difference between a Seth Rollins match and a Kajusi Okada match and a Volador match. It's just like they're all kind of doing the same, this same sort of version of... 20 2014 ROH wrestling like that is the style that almost everybody works right like so it's a, it's very much like it's it's one of the reasons I'm less less interested in current wrestling now it's just yeah, kind of all looks uh, everything that's supposedly great for the most part all kind of looks the same I mean there are certainly differences I think I don't think either of the best matches on the uh on all out for example lo- were worked in that sort of homogenized mm-hmm. good wrestling style but i certainly think that seth rollins and nakamura match was and i was like okay i got it i get it we're gonna do these things and it'll be almost a, almost a three count i almost kicked out now i'm doing a super version of my finisher I'm just like, <laughs> some of that stuff is just like i think it, you know i kind of miss when you had real stuff like this we're just like ah, wrestling there's no other wrestling in the world that looks like this you know, British wrestling in the 80s looked completely different from any other wrestling in the world. Japanese wrestling looked completely different from American wrestling. Memphis looked very different than Mid-Atlantic. And, you know, that all looked very different from WWF. And now it all it's a lot more in the blender now. And I also think uh, it's a lot more genre-based in the sense of, like, you have people who fit into these milieus. And so, like, deathmatch guys, right? Like, that kind of thing. As a and they do go from place to place, but like somebody like Moxley's pretty rare. Who's like, I'll just fight anybody. I will go to any show. 
I will show up at any time. I will hit anybody with anything and they can basically hit me with anything. Like guys like that don't really exist, at least to me, where it's kind of like they want wrestling to be all of the stuff because they want to be involved with all of the stuff. There seems to be a tendency towards homogenization, like you said, but for an end goal of making a shit ton of money. Like, like they want, they see this as a viable way to, it's no longer the case where you like have to worry about when you go to a show, whether or not the matches are going to suck, but whether or not they're going to be great is a different question. Like I used to go to indie shows when I was younger because my dad's been a wrestling fan my entire life. And there's, they're noticeably better in terms of like competency wrestling schools have gotten more standardized that kind of stuff and you can see the ways in which it benefits like the back end the low end of the product but like the top end like you said it's very much like we've seen this i like watching it but like i'll go outside and smoke during the seth nakamura match and i'll watch it later you know what i'm saying like i don't feel compelled i felt more compelled to watch the becky trish cage match because Trish had never been in a cage match before than I was in the main event, because I've already seen Seth Rollins defend his title while he's hurt. Do you know what I mean? Like, I already know what that looks like. And there's too much of the, like, well, I have six modes, and I kind of get into them. Well, wrestling, I mean, a lot of wrestling right now, it's it's Marvel movie. It's like a Marvel mm-hmm. movie. Like, you all know that you can do some different things, and you know, the, the stuff at the Guardians, the beginning of the Guardians Galaxy movie is going to be different than the beginning of a Black Panther, but they're all going to end with a bunch of guys pew-pewing lasers at each other. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's, yeah, that's, like a lot of, that's like, exactly what it is. I'm like, okay, here's the part where they pew-pew lasers at each other. And by, but what I mean by that is they're going to do a bunch of very dramatic 2.9 counts where one guy looks around in shock that he didn't get pinned by this move where nobody in the arena actually thought he was going to get pinned by him because that was just the regular version of his finisher and we haven't gotten to the point where he does a super version of his finisher or they bump the ref into a belt shot right it's just like i you know it's, it's so at some point uh, you know and which is you know like whatever you're gonna say about AEW, at least and they do have matches like that for sure oh, 100%. but at least, at least there you'll get some stuff that like on a show that'll be like brian danielson ricky starks in a strap match or the or moxley Orange Cassidy, it's like, okay, at least this isn't the same shit, right? At least this is a little different. No, we're talking about Moxley. He's a trip. Man, I was interviewing him uh, for the Way of the Blade that's coming out the other day, and it was just like talking to him, and he had just come from – he had just worked a shoot wrestling tournament uh, with Josh Barnett, like not like an actual – like not just actually like like a grappling, Mm -hmm. like a grappling tournament. Yeah. Uh, earlier that with yesterday, and then was about to go work a PWG show in the night when I was talking because it was talking from he was in California. It was like, yeah, I just did this shoot thing, and I almost got this guy at an arm bar, and now I'm gonna go work PWG. Uh, I don't know who I'm wrestling, and then I'm gonna then you know I'll be on, back on TV on Wednesday. I mean, he really is. That's like when people say that he, he's like a guy that's never going back to. He's like he's like enjoying WWF. He's yeah. just he's just enjoying his life. He's yeah. like I'm gonna go. I'm going to go work. I like doing showing up in pro wrestling revolver in Iowa and working a death match. And I like going and doing a shoot wrestling tournament. And then I'm going to do this other thing. And, you know, uh, so he is like, he is sort of, but he's unique, right? He's like the guy that'll still do different stuff. This is, it's almost like watching him as somebody who used to drink and stopped. It's almost like I'm going to replace that feeling, whatever with this shit as a healthy alternative to me drinking. Like, (laughs) He's a dry drunk, yeah. and it's, it's wrestling. Yeah. 
Darby Allen's the same thing, right? We watched Darby Allen. It's like, okay, this is the guy who, the, in in a, a hundred different multiverses, 97 of them, Darby Allen's a heroin addict. <laughs> in these three, he's doing this shit instead, and he's straight edge, right? Like, okay, that's fine. This is good. This is probably better. This is better than... <laughs> And shooting fentanyl for sure, marginally, right? Like, not 100% better, but it's certainly better than Darby Allen, like, does, you know, skateboards off the roof of his fucking house and gets dumped, you know, kidneys first on a wooden, uh, a, a wooden coffin rather than, you know, uh, uh, black tar heroin in the back of a truck. Yeah, like- yeah black tar is better than that. And, uh, but you know, it feels like he's the same. That's that same, that same dude in, in on Earth 11 is just a junkie, right? Like, and, and so, uh, which is, you know, you know, this is, it's cool. I mean, I like Darby, you know, I know you're not a Darby Allen guy, but he's a cool dude in a lot of ways. He, he's another guy I kind of, uh, I, you get the way of the blade. To AEW edition or whatever we're calling it. When it comes out, I got some cool Darby Allen quotes in there too. I've been talking. I went on a big run. I talked to a lot of people, you know, and I got a lot of uh, crazy quotes from a lot of these dudes. And uh, um, I'm really excited when that comes out because I got like I got a lot of good, uh, good, good stuff from all those guys. But, yeah, no. When you yeah, said you interviewed John, I was very like, I was like, holy shit, really? You interviewed John Moxley? That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, John Moxley, you know, like really thoughtful about pro wrestling in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect him to be. Oh, I love um, listening and, to that dude talk because, like, as somebody in recovery, like, it is good to listen to somebody else in recovery going through, you know, like going through the motions of like, I wanted. It's why he's talking about non-alcoholic, but like, I want the camaraderie after the show and the hanging out and talking about the shit that happened. And I used to facilitate that with alcohol, and I don't. It was like it's good to hear that you're not alone in that context. Um, yeah, and he he talked about he talked about how the Danielson match, and this will be in the book, how he re- that was the first time that he felt like he needed that because he did he felt like that was the first time he was back in his body after stopping drinking. Like he like he needed to have that he needed to get in there with Danielson and do what they did to like you know fully be sober and fully be back into his uh, his thing. And it was kind of interesting how he's been using wrestling and. Uh, Hey, David W is a mess, but you know, I, I think in a lot of ways there's a lot of positive stuff too. Yeah, and um, I think they're in a mess in the way of like it's not good. They won't. They had potential to really get into the stratosphere, and I think they're probably going to be in a holding pattern for a little bit. But you also have Brian Danielson, who's maybe the greatest American professional wrestler. I mean, in a mess that it sucks that that all happened. I mean, I don't know when we're putting this. I mean, it sucks that it all happened. It sucks that that's how it ended up, right? Yeah. I think it's a bummer that they couldn't fucking get their shit together, and Punk couldn't get his shit together and the, you know, and it felt like at least a little bit like, you know, he was getting neat. He was the guy with the fucking bad temper that was getting needled by the, these other guys until he blew it. And he, it's, it's too bad that he wasn't able to not do that. Right. Like speaking of another guy who kind of comes off a little bit like a dry drunk, right? Like another guy who's straight edge and, but hasn't really covered, you know, well, Kaz there, there some... on uh, the mass man show, like maybe you smoke a little bit of weed. <laughs> See him. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that it's, you know, I think there's, you see this a lot. I think with people who have, who you know they they have behaviors that are consistent with addiction, but aren't the but it's not a substance thing, right? And I think in the, in some ways it's you know I mean I I I've got a lot of time for CM Punk, and it's kind of a bummer that 
it ended like that just because, man, that, you know, that was really cool. I was really enjoying his run and I was enjoying him wrestling. And I thought there was a lot of interesting things they could have done, even if they never were able to get it together with the, with those other guys. And, and, you know, I don't have pick, I don't, you know, have a relationship with any of these people, but you know, if I was going to pick a side, it wouldn't be the young Bucks side. So it was like, oh, if it's two of those guys won this little battle and I would have probably preferred a world where they didn't, but you know, also, you probably should shouldn't fucking you know uh, try to like fight your boss, especially if you're like a guy who's as big as Tony uh, CM Punk is trying to fight a guy who's as small as Tony Khan. Yeah. Tony Khan is a is a wee is a, a wee little dude and not like a not somebody who necess- is not not like you're trying to fight Bill Watts, yeah. right? like trying to fight guys, or even Vince, know? or even somebody like Vince who's your side. Vince or punch Vince, you know what I mean? You like, would not be the first, me. buddy. <laughs> Exactly, and I'm sure he deserves that. And maybe who knows? Tony Khan has always had a. It's always been very nice to me, and he seems like a pleasant, nerdy guy. But you know, who, I'm sure that you know nobody likes their boss, and nobody likes billionaire. So you know, whatever. But uh, you know, it's come on, man. It's like the guys here twice the size. You want to fight somebody? Fight somebody who you know. Don't also don't fight fucking Jungle Boy and the Young Bucks, right? Like those guys are also you're also twice their fucking size, right? Like you know if you want to tough up, there's plenty of people in that locker room you can fucking buck up to and who who will actually you know yeah give you something you know go in there. It's like you don't why why are you why are you always fighting the smallest guy in the room? Fucking Jungle Boy, Jack Perry. Oh my god, we can talk about this all day. We should probably wrap up, Phil. Yeah, where can nobody's we find like, you? they're here to listen and talk about Pope Attackus, right? Not necessarily see a fuck. I mean, you know, it's hard to get a, avoid talking about this thing. I, you know, I think it's good we address this because I will be picking a CM Punk match next week. So oh, okay, for the right. next episode, <laughs> now that I like CM Punk matches, but Jesus, we're gonna this is an impossible thing to avoid talking about on a wrestling podcast. I think because uh, I really just want to talk about Super Porky, a guy who is known to have some backstage issues with people, but handled it. But one of the toughest, one of the toughest uh, sort of backstage guys, like he was known as a guy who's like you don't fuck with you better not fuck with Super Porky. Fought MMA. Super Borky. <laughs> not successfully. <laughs> but like I did actually have like an MMA fight. I uh, got a who the fuck did he fight in MMA? It was like ridiculous like Japanese promotion uh where they brought in Super Horky, who was kind of again known as sort of a shooter, right? Like he was known as a guy who who um who could handle himself in the back, so kind of got it in this guy. Hold on a second. I'm finding this. So the, the, the Brazos are all brothers. I'll talk a little more about the Brazos. The Brazos are all brothers. And there are a lot of Alvarados. Like, there's a ton of Alvarados. Um, he was 0-1-0. I know I'm jumping around here. I'm looking at his sure dog. Uh, his MMA record. Fought to a fighter named Takumi Yano. Lost very in round two to a heel hook. And the kind of joke of it was Takumi Yano was, you know, of eighth of his size or something like that, but still did it. Uh, you know, speaking of like, um, but so the Alvarados were the, the Alvarado family uh, of wrestlers is you have the, those three Brazos, but also a, a ton of other wrestlers, including second generation wrestlers like super Porky's son is is psycho clown. Who is one of the biggest stars in Mexico right now. Father was Shadido Cruz. Um, 
he was the first generation. The second generation, Bra the guy, three guys in this match, Brazo de Oro, El Brazo, Brazo de Plata. Also, uh, another brother wrestled as Brazo Cibernetico and Robin Hood. There was another brother who wrestled as Brazo de Platino, another wrestler who wrestled as Super Brazo. So there were six sons who were all wrestling Brazo. I These get were the Catholics, but Jesus Christ, <laughs> guys. <laughs> These three are your primary bra your your primary brazos. Mm -hmm. These would be if these would be Kevin Carey and David if it was the Von Erics. Yeah. And then, you know, your other brazos, you you know, so you sometimes you'll see the brazos where it won't be super brazo, it'll be brazo cybernetico, or it won't be it won't be uh it won't be brazo to you know de oro, but it'll be uh brazo de bronze. And then the third generation, you've got Maximo. Who was one of the big was a big star in CMLL and is an indie star now? La Mascara, Psycho Clown, Goya Kong is a, a female wrestler. Uh, Manisa De Plato is a female wrestler. Robin Super Brazo Junior, El Brazo Junior, Brazo Cibernetico Junior, Brazo De Platino Junior, Super Brazo, Brazo Celestial. I mean, just like there are you know a lot. That's a lot. You know, dozens of Brazos, and so sort of one of the famous. Things, the coolest things in wrestling ever, honestly, is there was a long-running feud between the Brazo family and the Viano family that ended with the Brazos all lost their mask to Viano. The Viano is one of the great mask matches of all time. We've got video of it. It's really shitty quality. Like Nobody's ever had a good quality venture match. But that's a feud that's just lasted for decades. Mm -hmm. And you'll still see in indie shows now where it'll be like, Three Viano kids against three Brazo kids bleeding each other, right? Like all based the wrestling on this hat, the Mexican, uh, the Lucha Libre Hatfields and McCoys. hundred percent, the Lucha Libre Hatfields and McCoys, right? Like or the Hatfields and McCoys are the hillbilly Brazos versus yeah. Vianos, right? Like yeah. it is this incredible <laughs> thing where it's just like, you know, all right, you know, any show wants to run a heated thing, you'll just put like a Viano on one side and a Brazo on the other side, and just let them let them go, and and you know, and the and Psycho Clown. Uh, is probably the arguably the, the biggest star in Mexico right now, and will do have matches sort of built around his father's legacy. Like we'll come in, you know, he had a a match against Viano Four, uh, and you know had this match in a Triple Mania last year that was really heated because this was you know the one of his father, the guy who took his father's mask, and he's you know trying to you basically retire him in this incredible brawl. And so it's re that's one of the cool things about Lucha is you have this sort of long, long history, this long familiar, you know, generations of families, uh, you know, battling and, and it's all tied into each other um, in a real, uh, in a really cool way. Uh, so I want to talk a little about the Alvarados and Brazos. My, one of my favorite, Super he's on the list of my all-time favorite wrestlers. Like, I love all everybody in this match, but he's like the guy that is closest to my heart. I had to see him live a couple times, even including very near the end of his life, where he basically could, could barely get into the ring. Like he could, he had to be helped up the stairs. Mm -hmm. uh, but still, it was just like he was so charismatic that it didn't really matter that he couldn't move. Like you know, like doesn't matter. He doesn't. You would still. He still just will have you engrossed in a match by just making faces and doing shtick and a lot like. You know, we talked about Dusty as being a great comparison between the two. Like, if you have watched any real end of the road Dusty, he's still Dusty, right? Like Dusty oh, in Ring, wrestling in Ring of Honor, or when he would wrestle like Terry Funk in like he's, on these, like, he's he's Dusty in polka dots. 
Like, yeah. that is an embarrassing thing to put an adult man in. They did it to embarrass him. And he still popped. He was still yeah. huge. He still looked good. He still felt like he belonged, like, at that level. Like, he's, it's the same idea of just, like, some guys have it. And I, I, I think we can end on this. The Watching the Cody documentary, or sorry, the Dusty A&E documentary, you're instantly like, oh, I get why he was the biggest star in the entire world. Like, the first time you see him cut a promo, and, like, I think it's, a fly, it's an early promo, and you're like, oh, my God. Like, his, the charisma with him is is was so... It literally went through the screen, like, it, and that's that's so rare to find somebody like that, like uh, Por- Porgy. Porgy is that his name? Super, por- super Porky. Brazil de Plata. Super Porky. Yeah. Por- porky. Okay, I was like, is it Porgy? I don't. That sounds. They're that's both porky. delicious. That's why they had him eating the ham in his like three matches and three appearances in the WWF TV for some reason. Uh... <laughs> That's yeah, that's, I like this match is like two of the guys with the most random big big American uh, runs ever. Super Astro for the one dive at uh, Nitro, <laughs> never again. And Super Porky for just showing up eating ham in the back at a backstage segment with Teddy Long or something on two episodes of Raw, and never again. Um, is it like those <laughs> the other the, that and the the other my ever favorite weird one is that um, Atlantis. One of the greatest wrestlers, you know, greatest stars in Mexican wrestling, and Emilio Charles Jr. had one WCW match on Worldwide, um, mm. and that's it. And for some reason, they kept calling Atlantis Lismark, even though that was obviously Atlantis, not Lismark. And Tony Mike Tanay was calling the match, and he fucking knows it. it's not like it's not like Lee Marshall who yeah. just didn't know these guys. They were like like Mike Tanay is like as big a fucking wrestling nerd as I am, maybe bigger. He certainly knows that's fucking Atlantis in there. But they kept calling him Lismark. It's like what is going on? I, my goal is if you know, I I, I gotta find a. a, a I gotta find a uh, somewhere that will pay me to do like an oral history of that one match on Worldwide. <laughs> what was going on? How these guys ended up here? Why they kept calling him Lismark? Why they never showed up again? How who? How did they even? Why did they fly these guys to Florida and never use them again? Like what is going on? That was a great thing about you hear that Patreons. <laughs> if you yeah, give us enough yeah, money, we'll, we'll do an oral cow. history. I don't, I don't think Cal is going to give me money to do that, right? For the ring. I got to find somebody. <laughs> GQ. I'm not. I can't pitch GQ on an oral <laughs> one worldwide match between Lismark and and, uh, and um, uh, Emilio Charles. Speaking of which, do your plugs, Phil, because you've had a bunch of interesting stuff going on. Um. Okay. So some plugs. Uh, we're still doing the weekly column every week uh, mm-hmm. on our Patreon. We're still not charging people yet. Eventually, maybe we will. But keep reading that. I got some. We're going to do a bunch of stuff then. I had an art, an interview with Brian Danielson that ran in GQ uh, last week. Uh, mm-hmm. Real life diet focused on his sort of his training and his diet and things like that. It's pretty cool. Um, and I've got a new way of the blade, uh, which I'm finishing. Uh, we talked about it before. Doing interview. Finishing up interviews for the writing is done on it, the art's done on it. We're hoping to have it out, uh, you know, November. So we're, we're and we will the, be plugging yeah, the shit out of it on the show. Plugging the shit out of it. Yes, I'm going to be. I'll be. I am sure once that starts getting a little closer to that, I'm just going to be doing every every fucking podcast that'll have me on. So I'm sure I'll be on. To, I'll do between the sheets. I'll do the large. I'll just. I'm going to. I'm going to hustle that. So um, 
that's coming out. And yeah, those are the, those are the, those are the big plugs. I don't think anything else. You got some plugs. I got, I got one I'm working on. You may have seen it on the Patreon. Uh, I am working on a history of the intercontinental championship, uh, math wise, but also just like the change in the way that the titles presented and stuff like that. I've been putting that on the Patreon. I'm also doing my little goofy drawings. That'll be out by the end of this week or beginning of next week. Cause I don't know if you know this, Phil, a lot of assholes have had the fucking title and they, some of them have a lot of matches that I have to catalog. It's not as much as the WWE title, which I think was 10,000 matches or something or 5,000 matches, 5,000 matches. But man, there are a lot of matches that I have to go through every single one. one. Certainly at one point in my life, I could name every Intercontinental Champion and when they, the title was, certainly not anymore. Oh, like God. I could do it when it was like, okay, it was Pat Patterson, then it was Pedro Morales, then it was Greg Valentine, then it was, you know, I knew that. But like now I think, you know, the, the I'm sure, who's the most random person to have held the Intercontinental Dean Douglas. title? Dean, Dean Douglas, 100% Dean Douglas. He didn't even win the match. He just got it handed to him after HBK got hurt. Dean, Shane Douglas. Shane Douglas. So Shane Douglas right, right, gets right. it. After uh, What's-His-Face gets into the fight with the Marines at the bar, HPK gets into the fight with the Marines at the bar, gets a concussion, has to drop the title. Douglas gets it and just loses it to Razor. Like, he literally is just, instead of giving the belt to Razor, they give the belt to this guy to give it to Razor. He's the most random out of the first 50. You start to get wild on the back end. There's, like, I know it's not random, but China. There's, like, a bunch of people who are... Person who would be the if you had to list the people on the level of star they were in the wrestling business, who would be the absolute bottom but still got an intercontinental title on? Because you know, like I, Dean Douglas, Gene Dean Douglas. Douglas is, I mean, he would, but I think Shane Douglas has a a place in pro wrestling history. That, that's right? he fair. Was an ECW champion and was a big so, part of that promotion. So I, I mean, guess, like, I don't think. Heck, so it's hard because Kerry uh, Von Erich, Texas Tornado. Is the person who's a world champion and the yeah, head exactly. of exactly? So it's kind of like one of those things where, like, he actually has the most like plucked out of existence almost because he disappears after he loses the title, he's just gone essentially. So it almost like he gets raptured. Um, I'll have to, we'll, we'll discuss that because I, I haven't went through the back end. I'm trying to think, let me just look at the actual chart, uh, that I have. Uh, of all of the people because it's dean douglas the other one was there's one other guy that had it for literally savio vega technically it's complicated because savio had a match with gold dust and then they hold up the title but on certain sites he's listed as a champion and it's like he's not a He's not. He's not a. He ne- no. Like absolutely not. But um, yeah. And I that's mean, actually- you Vega was not a big star though, because I mean, again, that guy had like a big run in Puerto Rico. I'm just trying to think. Was there like an equivalent of just? I'm looking at the list too. I'm. I'm going to find out who I think the biggest like scrub who ever held this belt was. Val Venus. Yeah, maybe it's Val Venus. Yeah, out of the uh, first no, fifty, out of the there's like, an argument he made, like he was a guy who just, you know, had this, you know, I have a big dick gimmick in the in, in the Albert. I didn't realize Albert may be the answer, right? Like, <laughs> like, like I was like looking at this thing. It's like Albert was not a was not as somebody who not a lot of people have fond Albert memories. I didn't realize Santino held the. 
Intercontinental title. But he, he is he actually had a great run with it because he did the honk uh, honk a tonk man. Like he wanted to beat Honky Tonk's record and he made like three weeks, but he like brought up that he invented the honka meter. Like his was an entire joke run, but like Santino's a borderline Hall of Famer. As weird as that is to say, he was really over in that company for a really long time. Oh, oh, the answer is Ezekiel Jackson. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, yeah, right? There's, that's a guy who literally has disa- completely disappeared in pro wrestling history, right? Like, there is not, there's not a lot, me- a ton of memorable Ezekiel Jackson moments. Um, you For know, his like, parents, though, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I, this guy enjoyed uh, in in Lucha Underground is a guy oh. smoking a cigar doing a shug. Yeah, hundred big Ron or whatever. Ezekiel Jackson is the is the footnote on this title, which is like you look at this and like, what the fuck? <laughs> He's the what the fuck? I mean, honestly, Wade Barrett is a guy who's not did not have. I mean, he's still around and doing. Yeah, I mean, still around and doing a gimmick, but I don't know if there's a memorable in ring Wade Barrett moment for a guy that had five titles. Um. But I, admittedly, that was a period of the WWF that I was not, not incredibly invested in as a fan. So maybe, maybe Wade. No one was. Like, I was watching it every week, and I wasn't. Um, so I think Apollo, Apollo Cruz, which is a really recent one, is a little bit of a weird. He made. Like, it, he was on, yeah, but he was a huge. He was big deal on the end. Like, like Ezekiel not, Jackson was. No, he wasn't though. I mean, that was the thing is like, he, he, he wasn't, I mean, I was around the Indies when he, he was a guy who had, he was in Dragon's Gate a little bit in Dragon's Gate USA, but that was never a big, he was never a big deal in the Indies. He wasn't like, he's never a guy who main evented in any import, right? Like, you know, Seth Rollins had the ROH world title, right? He was a big deal in the Indies, right? Like Ambrose was, you know, Moxley was a bigger deal on the Indies. There were guys who were big deals in the Indies. Uh, Apollo Cruz was a guy who did a moonsault and was kind of muscular, you know, but not a guy who was literally. What he was a he was a big guy. He was big for the Indies, but not a big name in the Indies in any way. There's not a not really a lot a ton of memorable Apollo Cruz evolve matches even like for a guy that was like working like that level of it. He was like a Dragon's Gate guy, USA guy, and had a moment or two had a pwg i'm sure he was in pwg and had a thing where he did a bunch of backflips but not a not somebody i he and for a guy and he's been around the wwe for a long time too has he though like or is he gainfully employed by them because like i think those are two different things yeah he's been gainfully employed for a while for sure yeah uh we will see you in two weeks we are back on a regular schedule everybody um we were, you know, we have lives, so we wanted to be able to do this on a more regular cadence, and hopefully that will be going forward. Um, but we will see you in two weeks with a, a match we will announce on the Patreon. Two matches we will announce on the Patreon next week uh, to get everybody excited. And I will probably do a write-up on mine. I'm not making you do a write-up on yours. Uh, just so you can get kind of get my perspective on the match. I might even do both, because I will have not seen Phil's match before. <laughs> And Phil would have seen my match many times. Um, but yeah, so uh, we, we can't wait to be back and we're happy to be back. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the episode. I'll never log off, I'll never log off, I'll never log off.